0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another lesson with Revive School. My name is Ryan Schrag and uh, part of the team Time to Revive from Sarasota, Florida. It's good to be back with you and exciting just again another day to open up the Word of God and we are back in Psalms and um, Psalm 57 through 59 and this is uh, lesson number 53 and you know what with this whole school it's so fun to actually just pull out nuggets. That's what we're doing. We're trying to go deeper as men and women understanding the word of god so that we can live this out. So I love seeing where where David's at. And as we're reading through Psalm 57, 58 and 59, you know, this is like real life stuff that David is going through. Sometimes we can just blow through this and like, "Oh, he's going in some distress and now he's praising the Lord." But when we actually go back and see the con- see where he's at, what's going on? And I want to do that today on the front end of This lesson today and look at chapter 57. What's actually going on in David's life? Where is he at when he's writing this? And what has led up to him that he's feeling such deep emotion that he's going to write from this? Because in this, not only are we going to have a better understanding of where he was at, but we're going to see his response and, and the faith that it took to respond in this way. And hopefully learn from it. I know I have, as I was studying this passage to, uh, to to talk today, it challenged me, David's response in the midst of all that he's going through, because I've actually not have had anybody um, go after me to seek my life, like I've not been in that deep of distress, to just, but to see him praise the Lord through the midst of it. So I want to look at Psalm, especially 57 today, and so... There's titles of these chapters. You guys know that as we're going through this. Each chapter has a title. And so 57, the title is a prayer for safety from enemies. And we will see why, because he was being sought after. He was being, he was running from Saul in this time. And so David is fleeing and he's in, he's in despair during this time. And I was reading through uh, John Maxwell's study Bible and he quotes Philip Yancey. And I think this is a, it's a good, um, quote to kind of set the stage he says david wrote and sang the psalms as therapy for himself somehow telling himself the truth enabled him to rise above his fear and see a transcendent god who remained in control so somehow him singing this speaking forth truth helped him rise above the situation to a point to where he was overcoming fear because he saw a transcendent god who remained in control Man, what a, what a biblical truth that we can apply to our life to rise above and not get, not get swallowed up in all of this, to rise above the fear so that we indeed can see the King of glory jumping on the scene in our life. And so let's take a look at this, the backdrop from where David came from to where he is at writing this Psalm currently, Psalm 57. And to look at this, it's, it's kind of fun because those of you that have been going along this whole journey, we, you know, it's really fun to study the life of David. And we have to go back to 1 Samuel at chapter 20 through 24 to, to actually see the backdrop of where he's at when he's writing this. So I'm just going to do a brief summary. You don't have to go there, Kevin. But starting at chapter 20, and this all is going to make sense. But starting at chapter 20, you guys remember this story. 20 is where Jonathan he kind of showed his loyalty to David. And David was wondering, hey, is Saul seeking my life? Jonathan's like, I'll check it out because we're going to have a banquet. And you go and hide in the field. And if he's going to seek your life and you need to get out of here, you need to flee, I'm going to actually shoot the arrow past you. And I'm going to call out that my servant, it's past you and you'll know to flee. And so during the banquet, about the second day, Saul starts to notice that David's not at the banquet. and And he really gets frustrated and mad at Jonathan and actually throws a spear at him. So now David knows that his life is, is you know, it it's it all seeking after his life. And so he's fleeing. So this is going on. And then he actually goes to the town of Nob. If you remember, he met the priest in Nob. Do y'all, y'all remember the priest's name that he went to see where he ate the showbread offhand? you remember that? Ahimelech. Uh, yes, way to go. David went and the priest Ahimelech, and um, he just said, hey, do you have anything to eat? You know the story. He had the showbread. That was all, that's all he had. And so also David's like, I don't have a weapon. Do you happen to have a spare spear or a sword? And and Himelech is like, yeah, actually we do have one. And we have Goliath's sword, the one that you used to uh, chop his head off. And, and here it is. And he gave him the sword. And now gave, David is actually carrying Goliath's sword. In the middle of all this, David notices that there's this dude, Doeg, the Edomite, who is Saul's chief herdsman. He happens to be in town. David notices, uh oh, Doeg is seeing what's going on. I'm afraid that he's going to go tell Saul what's happening. And sure enough, he goes and tells Saul that, hey, listen, I know where David's at. He's in Nog, Nob, talking to Ahimelech. And this just makes Saul so mad enraged, just so frustrated. you got to understand this because this is all leading up. This all is making sense to where, why David is writing what he is writing in, in chapters 57, even 58 and 59. So what is Saul's response? He sends men to Nob to actually talk to Ahimelech and ends up, you guys know what ends up happening, he ends up not only killing Ahimelech, but 85 other of the priests. And then he actually has guys go into the town and completely wipe out the men, the women, the children, the nursing infants, the oxen, the donkeys, the sheep. I mean, what point does a man come to where he is, first of all, he was God's appointed one as king, Saul was, to where all of a sudden now his heart became so hardened and so enraged That he would come to a point to where he would wipe out a town because he has to, because this person he thought aided David. The reason I say that is because there's choices that you and I make make daily. And Saul Saul was just choices to actually walk away from the Lord. His heart actually became hard to a point to where he probably did things he never imagined he would ever do. The cool thing is for you and I, the King of Glory is, is, is waiting always to receive us back. To say, I don't care where you're at, what you've done. He's ready to say, Hey, just come back to me. And so, unfortunately, Saul never came to that point. His heart, his heart was so hardened. So, David then flees from there, and he actually was so in distress, he's like, Maybe if I actually go to the to the enemy's camp, to the Philistines, I might find some, you know, some safety there. So he goes to Gath. He heard King Achish say, Hey, isn't that the dude that they said Hey, Saul kills the thousands, but David the tens of thousands. So he, David hears him say that, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, he knows who I am. This can't be good. I was trying to come here to get safety. This ain't going to work. I'm going to actually act like a madman. So it's just like scratching at the wall and saliva coming down. And so Achish is like, man, I don't want anything to do with this guy. So David leaves there, and this is when he escapes to the first cave that he's in. Psalm 57 is going to get picked up and and written in the second cave. But the first cave, you guys remember the name of the first cave? Cave of Adjulam. Yes. So David and his 400 men, these guys are coming from everywhere, and they're meeting in this cave, and they're actually hiding out. And so from there, Saul's pursuing him. He's closing in. And from there, Saul's getting close and David is fleeing. He's on the other side of the mountain. And it's just like, this could really play out in a, in, in a movie. It's getting close. And all of a sudden, Saul gets word that the Philistines are attacking him. So he leaves David and, uh, and then goes back and takes care of business. And then this is all going to make sense. We all, we have to know this backstory. So you know, you have to feel what David is feeling through this whole thing. I mean, he is fleeing from, for his life. Then he goes and he hides in the wilderness of En-Gedi. And we see that in 1 Samuel 24, 1. David is in the wilderness of En-Gedi, and he's actually in a cave there. So Saul hears this, and he goes and finds 3,000 choice soldiers. 3,000 to go find this dude, David. So, and again, this is like real life stuff. Saul actually goes into the very cave where David is. You know what Saul was doing, right? He wasn't just wandering in there. The Bible actually says he was—he was—he was taking care of business. He was relieving himself. This is real life stuff. And so, happened to pick the cave that David was. And David's guys are like, "Hey, hey, God is—he's—he's he's giving him into your hands. It's—it's it's your chance here to knock him off. Go for it, David." And he probably contemplated it a bit, but then he doesn't do that. But yet he he reaches out and he cuts the corner of his robe off. Even then he felt bad about it. It's almost like, ah oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. So I say all that, just just think of what all's going on in David's life. This is the setting where he writes Psalm 57. This is what's this currently happening in, in his life. And uh, think of this. Wearsby said this. David, David was the chosen man to be in the palace. Right, He knew he knew he was anointed. He knew he was going to be called to be the king. But yet he was stuck in a wilderness running for his life, maybe not sure what was going to happen. Wiersbe says this statement. I think it's so good. It says, "...it's actually better to be in the will of God in a cave than out of his will in a king's palace." And I, and I say that again, it's better to be in the will of God in a cave than out of his will in a king's palace. And maybe we can apply that to our lives right now and say, maybe there are some things that have been promised to me, but right now the Lord is having me in a certain situation, quite possibly in a cave or a wilderness type of situation, because he's building something up in my life to release something to me later. And what I need to do right now is just steward well where I'm at so that next thing gets um, just gets released to me. So I'm staying in the will of God where he has me. I know the promise he has for me, but I'm walking in the will of, the God, of God so that I can actually receive that in his timing. I'm actually going to put some things on the, on the screen here or on this board, structure of chapter 57. So we're looking at chapter 57 as our focus. There's three parts to this. There's three parts to chapter 57. The structure of it is, the first one is this. As David does many times, it's a call for mercy. If we actually look at verse 1 in chapter 57, he's calling forth for mercy from the Lord in the midst of calamities. It says this, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. My soul thirsts for you. I'm sorry, my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. And I love that verse, or that part of that verse that says, in the shadow of your wings... I will make my refuge. It gives kind of the picture of like a mother bird whose wing is there and the the little baby that comes up underneath that wing to take refuge to find safety in her wing. That's what what David is crying out, that I could find that refuge in the shadow of your wings. Verse 2, And I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. I, I want to look at that. The word performs in that verse, I think it's significant. And I want to look at it. It, it. It's translated, it's actually the word gamar. Gamar actually means to perfect. And what he's saying here, it, it's, it's translated as will perfect. God is, he's at the point it, that God acts on behalf of his servant. It's the assurance that the idea is that God begins a work in our lives he begins to work out his purposes in the life of his servants and then he continues his work until it is absolutely and completely done that is a statement of faith so what is what david is saying here i'm going to cry out to god most high to god who Gamar all things for me. Like he's going to work this out. I know he is. It's, he will perfect this situation. So this is him in the midst of his distress, in the midst of all that he is going through. He's like, okay, Lord, I've seen you done it, do it before in my life. I'm going to trust, I'm going to gomar who you are and, and that you're seeing this situation through for my benefit on my behalf. So, man, does that speak to us? You're in the midst of something right now that Gamar word that you're speaking out, you're going to know that God has began, He's begun a good work in you. He's going to be faithful. It's going to come to a, an absolute and complete finish in your life. The second part of this chapter is, he goes into a confession of trust. And so in the midst of all that is happening in his life, verses 4 to 6, He says this in in verse 4 My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth and spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. So he's in the midst of all this. He's he says, he's prepared and part of it says he's prepared a net in verse six, actually, jump to six. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me into the midst of it. They themselves have fallen. So that whole thing of preparing the net is kind of this image of like a bird that's easily caught. David is seeing all this happening. And now jump back to verse 5. You realize he's writing this as like a song, a psalm. And a lot of times in songs, you guys know this, we've talked about it, there's a refrain and what a refrain actually is, is it's kind of a, a pause or something that repeats after verses to kind of give the what actually the song is about. He wants to give emphasis to this part of the psalm. So his emphasis through all of this, through his call for mercy, through a confession of trust, the emphasis that he wants to give is, be exalted, O God above the heavens let your glory be above all the earth despite all that's happened his goal is and his life was Lord that you would be exalted above the heavens that your glory could be seen above all the earth that all the nations would see it and he he saw the bigger picture in this whole thing so he says it in verse 5 but he also later on talks about it in verse 11 so it's the refrain that's backing up saying this is the thrust this is the this is the heart this is the goal of this whole thing It's the focus that your name would be glorified. The third part of the structure of verse 7 then, I mean, uh, chapter 57, starting at verse 7, is David then goes into a determination, a determination to praise God in the midst of the people. Like, so imagine this in verses 7 through 11. David is in the cave, his guys know what's going on. And I think sometimes even as leaders, you guys that are leading groups of people, model it. Like in, in the middle of stress, in the middle of stuff that's going on, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't make sense. It's not fair. In the middle of it, let's demonstrate praise. Like this heart, that my heart is going to give you praise because it was in the middle of the people. And so starting at verse 7, he says this. My heart, is steadfast, O oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. And I just want to stay stay right there on verse seven. For him to declare that my heart is steadfast was almost as if he was speaking forth this truth. He needed to hear himself say that. Like man, he, he could say, "Oh man, I'm, I'm just I'm not sure what I'm going to do." But he declares, "My heart is steadfast." as a declaration to speak over his life that I'm not going to be moved. In the midst of this, I know who I I serve. I know the one that has had my back this whole time. So my heart is steadfast. It makes me think of Paul in in 2 Timothy. If you could just jump there, uh, Kevin. 2 Timothy 4, uh, verses 6 to 7. Paul is in a place, too, of... You know He's coming to the end of his life, and he just makes this declaration to Timothy, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. I want to tell you guys what an encouragement Paul is, but even David, in the midst of this, he said, my heart is going to remain steadfast. I'm not going to be moved. It's like a choice that I'm going to make that what else am I going to do? Where else am I going to go? Because you are the one that has, has kept me and held me and my heart will remain steadfast. It's, it's assuring God that He's remained faithful. Even in, Kevin, if you could go to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight for me, please. Uh, Paul's just declaring this as well in Corinthians. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor, it's not in vain. It is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in, in vain. So no matter what we're going through, no matter what is happening, and I just even encourage all of you that, man, right now you're either sitting down and watching this, you're listening to it on the radio, whatever the, con- the, the concept is, wherever you're at in life, I just encourage you the same way that Paul did. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, it reminds me of a little while ago when we were studying through the book of Job, and one of uh, one of laura 's devotionals talked about clinging, clinging to the Lord, like like holding fast to him as cling wrap does a saran wrap does like let's let 's cling to him and remain steadfast and immovable, always abounding in in, in the work of the Lord. So here's the thing, a steadfast heart is one that is fixed on the Lord's promises, and it's not wavering between doubt and faith. It's like my feet are firmly planted in the Lord. So here's the choice that we have to make, because if he says, be steadfast, that also means there's a a choice for me not to be steadfast. But here's what the enemy of our soul wants to do. He wants to cause us to actually look within ourselves and say, oh, man, Ryan, you're not, you shouldn't be up there teaching. You know, what What? What? all do you know? And all that, there's, there's things that we can play through in our minds that the enemy actually wants us to look within ourselves, within our own physical capabilities, and, and we will stop actually looking and fixing our eyes upon the Lord. Because when I look at myself, eventually it's going to take me to a place where I start to doubt, which will, it's a slippery slope that leads me to a place of unbelief. And if I'm at unbelief, I'm actually powerless in this whole thing. And so never, ever get there. Be steadfast. You're not looking at yourself. You're looking beyond that. And you're looking to the king of glory who gives you the strength and who, who is calling forth your identity. It's way beyond you. This is, this is way beyond me. I tell you guys, this is way beyond any of us to pull off something like this with Revive School and digging in. But the Lord is giving strength. So remain steadfast through it all. <clears throat> so David just calls upon the Lord to manifest His greatness in such a way that at the end, because of the refrain, He just says, at the end, I just want you to be exalted. Like, I want people to look at my situation and and look at life and the way I react and say, man, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes that He is glorified through, through the way I respond and the way I react. I'm going to conclude with a couple different things, but you know as we look at then 58 and 59 those both of those chapters I'm not going to get into them but in 58 uh David's just he's just kind of lamenting uh, the na- the ch- the name of that chapter is the just judgment of the wicked and then 59 is the assured judgment of the wicked 58 he's just talking about how wicked Saul basically is and all of his guys, because he just, again, remember, he just got done seeing that he wiped out Ahimelech and all the people of Nob. He knows that he's a righteous man, but yet he's being, you know, all of this is coming against him. And then in 58, he goes on to, uh, this is the fun thing where Michael actually dresses up A dummy and puts the dummy in bed so that to look like it was David so that he could escape because Saul was going after his life. But in the middle of that, Saul's just like, man, this is all that's going on in my life because Psalm 59, the first uh, 15 verses, he's just like, oh, these people are so wicked. This is what's, uh, this is just, Lord, can you take care of this whole situation? And then he switches the emoji And at the end, the last three, actually two verses of 58, just go there. Uh, If you could, Kevin, I'm sorry, 59. If you could go to Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17. But at the end, he goes, But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and my refuge in the day of trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises, for God is my defense, my God of mercy. So here's kind of the conclusion. Here's what I want us to leave with as, I, as we just read through this, as we see the example that David gives all throughout Psalm. As we see all that he was going through, I would just say this. Do as he did. Speak truth over your life. One of the things that we're learning through Scripture, through studying the Word of God together, is we're starting to hear truth it's going down deep into us so that when, when times of doubt and frustration, I can actually tap into that because I know a lot more than I used to. I know the word of God more so that I'll bring that out and I'll actually start speaking forth truth over my life. Because here's the thing. We all go through things. But if we let our feelings and our emotions dictate our life, I tell you, those make terrible leaders. Feelings and emotions were never meant to lead our life. That's why we need to know truth. Because if it, if this was like a train, truth would always be the engine that's driving the whole thing. Feelings and emotions are an important part of it. But if I know the truth of Scripture, if I've seen what has happened in the past, but yet even in my life as I've learned to trust Him, I go back to those moments and I can speak them over what I'm currently going through. So, I, so Lord, I praise You. In advance, because I know who you are. I know you, you're you my God of strength, as it says in, in verse 17. So I'm going to sing praises as David did. I, I think of you guys, we just studied through Job. There's, there came a point in Job's life where he said, you know what? Though he slay me, I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. He says it in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. In the midst of it, he's just going to say, Lord, I trust in you. That, that word trust for those of you that like these, these, like the root word of that is the word yashal. It's yashal. It says, though he slay me, yet I will yashal him. It's this, it's this word that just says to wait and to trust in him and to remain in anticipation. So it's a word that, that denotes like um, faith in him because of what they've seen him do. So they're going to call that out. It's a word that talks about hope. So, though he slay me, yet I will yashal him. And if we could go just a couple more verses and we'll come to a conclusion here. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, the second part of verse 5 into verse 6. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I'm actually going to rise above fear. What can man do to me? Like I I carry the kingdom, like the the king of glory is on my behalf. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. And I think David had that promise as he's sitting in a cave, knowing that 3,000 men are after him. But he's like, I'm not going to fear. Like I will actually just sing forth your praise as a declaration over my life and trust in you. You know, um, I want to read this, this last thing. I was debating if I was going to or not. I just feel like I need to, to release this. I was listening to something the other day from a pastor, uh, actually John Piper, and he said these words, and it was like just this declaration that's like God is in control in every part of my life, and I need to trust that. And so I just want to read this to you as we conclude here. He said this, Not only is all your affliction momentary, and not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. It all has meaning. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing something through it. Everything is. <clears throat> it, it doesn't matter if it's... Uh, Whatever it is, it is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it's if it's cancer or if it's criticism. Things that we look at and like, that is not right. It's meaningless. It's like none of it is meaningless. It all has a purpose. If I actually believe God is working all things together, then I have to say in those things, yes, they're tough, but none of it is meaningless. It's all working together. And so we can say... It's working out an eternal weight of glory. therefore do not lose heart but take these truths day by day, focus on them, preach them to yourselves every morning, get alone with God and, and his preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are known and cared for. So I just want to encourage you with that. this is called, man I tell you what that's bringing the Word of God to life and like I'm going to trust in you Lord. I'm going to remain steadfast. And we, we can do that more and more as we're digging into the Word of God and we're starting to trust the Lord. So may that be uh, your prayer today and what your life is marked by. So I hope you all have a great day, and we look forward to the next time. Thanks.